Coming Up is a podcast brought to you by the dedicated and diverse volunteers at 3CR. Just a quick message before you get there. For the month of June, we're asking listeners to donate to the station to help keep us going. In 2023, we're asking our community to stay tuned, stay radical. We rely on the generous donations of the community to survive. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate and show your support for community-owned and community-run media. Thanks for your support and happy listening. Radio MMT respectfully acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting, the Wurundjeri people, and we are broadcasting to the Kulin Nations. Our focus is economics, that is, how stuff is produced and distributed. We recognise that for many tens of thousands of years, First Nations people's connection to country successfully embodied the world's oldest continuous economy, which was catastrophically disrupted by genocide and displacement. We acknowledge that we have much to learn to reshape our current extractive and exploitive system to achieve sustainable prosperity for everyone. Radio MMT. Economics for the rest of us with Anne and Kev. Radio MMT. Looking at the world through the lens of modern monetary theory. Radio MMT. Macroeconomics for a well-being economy. Macroeconomics? Like, isn't that incredibly boring? No, Kevin, it's incredibly interesting. It's all about who gets what and why. Who gets what and why? Okay, I'm in. Radio MMT at gmail.com Incredibly interesting macroeconomics for the rest of us. Welcome to Radio MMT. How are you, Anne? Hello, Kevin. I'm good. And hello to our listening Larry or Larissa or our in-betweener. Always good to have them on board yet again. Um, Yeah. Before I forget it, (laughs) I have to go first before I forget, which is, Kevin, in the interest of changing the world to become a better place, you and I are going to the pub. (laughs) Oh, yes, of course. Um, Yeah, uh, we're trying to get this thing going where where we have a, a group have of us catching up once a month. So it's the fourth Friday of each month uh, because because we're trying to help stimulate the economy <laughs> and, and small business. In small ways and big. In small ways and big. Yeah. We, uh, uh, we're trying to get a group of us to, to catch up at, at the pub afterwards. We've already met a few really lovely people. So if you're within an hour of Fitzroy, we'll be heading a few blocks away from the studio where we are. At about 7 o'clock, we'll get there. Yeah, it's um, just around the corner from uh, from where we are. It's a short walk from the 3CR studios. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, and love to see you there. <laughs> to chat about all nerdy things economic. Yeah. <laughs> now, speaking about nerdy things economics, um, do, do we have a plan for today or are we... <laughs> <laughs> I have a plan, Good, Kevin. Like you always have a plan. Just... Well, you know how you and I, we often whinge about how the mainstream talks about the national economy, in other words, macroeconomics. Yep. And I thought our lovely listener ought to hear a sample of the kind of mainstream commentary you get. And also, they really should hear what you're up against when you become a contrarian to what the mainstream says about how the economy works. So later in the show, we will hear snippets from a conversation that was in the mainstream media about things like government spending and the government debt and deficit and all those wonderful things. But before we get to that, we have our regular communication from our favourite MMT economist, Professor Bill Mitchell. With his letter from the Cape. Uh, now, I've, I've been listening to some of these, and I reckon if you wanted to do a crash course in macroeconomics, progressive macroeconomics, you could look up his uh, site and listen to each one of these letters from the Cape one after the other. Mm-hmm. They go for about five or six minutes each. And if you just sat down and listened to them, I reckon you could... Um, circumvent probably three years of, of, of university <laughs> education. <laughs> you could. So there they are, freely available online. And this time we will need our pens and paper ready again, again apparently. Radio, yes. Okay, so uh, let's get on with it. It's time for A Letter from the Cape with economist Bill, Bill Mitchell. Mitchell. Here is another letter from the Cape. In this episode I want to talk about debt. Public debt to be specific. How many times have you heard the Federal Treasurer talk about how the Australian government is heaving with a trillion dollars of Liberal debt? The budget is absolutely heaving uh, with Liberal debt. He claims the new Labor government inherited a budget from the previous government which had run up public debt to unsustainable levels. As a consequence, 
he claims he has no option but to rein the government spending in. A familiar tale. He told the media soon after being elected last May that we need to, to be, be honest, honest and upfront with the Australian, Australian people, people about the nature, about the nature, the severity, the severity, the magnitude, the magnitude of, of this inflation, inflation challenge that, that we confront. The heaving reference has been repeated ad nauseum over the last year, so much so that a Canberra Times journalist wrote last September that the Treasurer was beginning to sound a little like a cull. A cull is a migratory cuckoo that flies to Australia from Indonesia and New Guinea in spring and leaves again with new offspring in autumn before it gets too cold. The reference to the Treasurer relates to the fact that the call of the coal is repetitive, 24-7 and very grating. Have a listen. The journalist demanded that the Treasurer drop the heaving because we're heaving from hearing it too often, once more and will most likely hurl. I imagine the hurl was in reference to a brick through the TV. I am largely pacifist by nature, but I can confess to such imagery myself. Other government ministers have formed a heaving chorus with the Treasurer. The problem is that the constant harking about heaving is based on a fundamental lie and is being used as a smokescreen to give the government cover to cut public spending. In the last few weeks, we have seen them use the debt cover to refuse calls to lift the unemployment benefit above the poverty line. But tax cuts for the rich and billions on submarines and missiles are apparently more important than restoring some dignity to our most disadvantaged citizens. Of course, the Treasurer's call for honesty and transparency about public debt would help us all. The only problem is that the debt narratives that we get from politicians, the media commentators and the mainstream economists is the opposite of those virtues. In our little pencil and paper game in the last episode, you learned that when the government spends more into the economy than it takes out in tax revenue, the citizens are able to accumulate the game tokens in the form of saving, which allows them to build up financial wealth measured in tokens. And when the government spent less than it took out in tax revenue, a surplus situation, citizens were forced to liquidate some wealth they had built up in the past in order to meet their deficit. The government surplus meant the non-government income was below the tax liability. A government surplus equaled the non-government deficit and vice versa. Now get your pencil and paper out again because we're going to introduce debt into the game in its most simple but stark form. So let's start in year one where the private citizens have accumulated say 20 game tokens as wealth because in year zero, the government had run a deficit of 20 tokens. Refer back to episode five if you have forgotten why the past deficits increased currency wealth in the private sector. Now the government decides that it wants to encourage saving, which they see as increasing the ability of private households to manage the risk of unforeseen events, like a sudden illness or some other calamity in life. At present, the game tokens that the citizens have saved are just sitting there doing nothing. So imagine I, as the government, offer a 10% interest return per day for each token that is exchanged for a government bond which I will make available. That means you could earn two extra tokens the first day on your saving of 20 and so on. Now think about that. Essentially, that financial instrument, the fancy word for the government bond, which is just a commitment to reward some saving, becomes the national debt. If you swapped all your savings of 20 tokens for 20 tokens worth of government bonds, then the Federal Treasurer would claim the game is heaving with 20 tokens of debt. 
but you should now immediately see through that cant. The national debt is just that portion of your wealth portfolio that you have placed in interest-bearing government bonds. Pretty simple, really. You just swap one form of wealth, game tokens, that earn a zero return for a form of wealth that is interest-bearing, the government bonds. Now here is a tricky question. Where did the tokens come from that allowed you to buy those government bonds worth 20 tokens? It becomes obvious, doesn't it? When the government ran a balanced fiscal position, spending 100 and taxing 100, the citizens could save nothing, which means they could never be in a position to purchase any bonds because they had no saving and no accumulated wealth in tokens. It was only when the government ran a deficit, meaning that it spent more than it took back in taxes, that saving became positive and wealth was able to be accumulated. Then the bond purchased by the citizens was just a portfolio choice between interest-bearing and non-interest-bearing assets, that is, tokens versus government bonds. And that means that the capacity to purchase the government bonds came from past government spending that was not fully taxed away, that is, past government deficits. So the citizens could buy the debt because the government left some of its spending in the economy and didn't tax it back. Moreover, now you should be able to see that the sale of the debt provided the government with no extra spending capacity, which is contrary to the popular view that debt is essential to fund government services beyond those funded by tax revenue, which makes harking on about heaving with a trillion dollars of debt look rather silly, doesn't it? So far then, we have seen that neither tax revenue nor debt sales fund government spending. We can go deeper into this story later, but that should have your head spinning enough for this episode. Take care and we'll be back. That was the ornithological report from economist and birdwatcher Bill Mitchell. Bill Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Bill was showing us there what this trillion-dollar national debt really is. And what it is is the amount of money in the economy that's floating around in the form of government bonds. Yes. And yes. the other thing to know about these bonds is that when the federal government issued them, it was not doing that in order to borrow and it was not doing that in order to fund anything. It was doing that for quite a different reason. And it's kind of interesting to think about why do all the mainstream economists and commentators think that the government is borrowing when it's issuing bonds? And I can think of two reasons, Kevin. Lay them on me. What are they? <laughs> well, the first reason is that Sometimes when an entity issues bonds, they are in fact borrowing. So if a state government issues bonds, they are borrowing because what's a bond? Well, it just is an agreement that says, give me some of your money and at the end of a certain time, I will pay you back that money plus a little bit more money. So that's kind of making a loan. So for some entities who are not currency issuers... Issuing bonds is the borrowing operation. And the, the interest is, is a payment that's made um, per annum, and then they pay back the principal at the end. Yes. So they don't pay back the principal plus the interest at the end. They pay back the principal at the end, and they pay you interest along the way. Therefore, it becomes a, um, a, an earner for you. And the second reason why a lot of people walk around thinking that when the federal government is issuing bonds, it's borrowing, is because we have this very silly policy that says... If the federal government taxes less than what it's spending in a certain amount of time, then it has to issue bonds to make up the difference. So it has to issue bonds to match the amount that is between the amount taxed and the amount spent. Yeah, so the annual deficit is made up in bonds. That's right. So it looks like the government's borrowing, but it isn't. Uh, 
if the government is not borrowing, then what is it doing? And as Bill said, one of the things it's doing is it's offering us as savers an, an option to earn interest. It's usually low interest, but it's at, it's 100% guaranteed. Because the government, the federal government, is the issuer of the currency, it doesn't need to raise those funds from anywhere. It can create them on demand. So government bonds are 100% guaranteed. If you're paying the interest in dollars and you issue the dollars, there is no problem about finding those dollars. Yeah, yeah. And so superannuation companies and and a lot of other large uh, institutional investors love them because if they're going to take some risks in other areas of their portfolio, they need to have a certain amount of their um, funds uh, low risk. It becomes an important part of, of the mix of institutional investors, particularly like the superannuation mm. companies. And speaking of institutional investors, another thing to notice about this is it's not always individuals who are buying these bonds. So say I had $2,000 in the ANZ Bank and Kevin had $3,000 in the Commonwealth Bank and all these other people have got deposits in these commercial banks The commercial banks are then adding up together all the deposits they each have and then they're spending a proportion of all those deposits to buy bonds. So this buying and selling of bonds and this idea that it's part of the national saving, it's usually the uh, institutional investors who are dealing with this. Yeah, and uh, I always like the um, the example of uh, of the Costello years, and I do believe we've got um, some uh, some clips from uh, the, uh, the. Yes, the, well, coming up. We've but just to, just to clarify that that um, when uh, Costello ran successive uh, surpluses during the early two thousands, there was no reason to issue bonds. Um, but well, the, the reason that government says it, it issues bonds is to cover the shortfall of, of revenue, right. uh, which is to cover its deficit. And so Costello didn't need to issue bonds. Didn't when he have a deficit, did he? And all the um, institutional investors said, where are the bonds? And they're going, well, we don't need to. We haven't run a deficit. And they've got, you need to issue bonds. We need the bonds. And there you find the real reason for the bonds. The real reason yeah. for bonds. Phew. Well, shall we head for a bit of music now? Sure, rightio. Uh, I'm playing some random stuff that Joe has been sending me uh, from 3CR. So this is a song... Uh, it's either Terry with a song called Gold Duck or it's a song called Terry by Gold Duck. But in any case, this is Terry Gold Duck. I'm James Juniper. I'm an economist at the University of Newcastle and you're listening to Radio 3CR. That was uh, Gold Duck by Terry, um, as I found out afterwards, uh, because if you listen to the song, it says um, Gold Duck. Now, uh, we have some clips coming up. um, And now, where did you get this audio from, (laughs) Anne? I pulled it from the mainstream media, and I should mention that these were recorded not long after the October 2022 budget, and we have had another one since then. So things have shifted a little bit, but unfortunately, the conversation is much the same. So what we're going to listen to is an excerpt from an interview with Peter Costello conducted by Tom Switzer from an episode of Between the Lines, which was broadcast on ABC's Radio National on the 25th of November 2022. Now, Kevin, I'll just remind us that Peter Costello is a past treasurer with the Conservative Coalition government, and he had nearly 12 years to screw around with the Australian economy. And during that 12 years, he delivered 10 budgets with surpluses. And he is also currently the chair of something called a future fund, which I have to find out more about. Let's also remind ourselves that Tom Switzer is executive director for the Centre of Independent Studies, which is a Sydney-based libertarian think tank. This think tank was founded in 1976, which just reminds me that the 1970s were a very interesting decade when it comes to things going on with macroeconomics. And the Centre for Independent Studies is affiliated with a thing called the Atlas Network. And I highly recommend people Google the Atlas Network and then you'll discover how the libertarian right wing and others were organising for the last few decades. So just for me to to Mm. get that clear in my head, we've got a a right wing libertarian interviewer interviewing a right wing conservative ex-treasurer. That's what we've got. Excellent. Good. Okay. 
<laughs> just need to prepare myself. Prepare yourself. Yeah, go and get that. If you've got Strap those little, in. The little stress, the stress balls that you have or something, just, just, just be aware that stress warning on this one. Anyway, here we go. Peter Costello and Tom Switzer. Well, remember the old joke about money growing on trees? Well, with response to the COVID pandemic, <laughs> should we now think that the joke is actually true? That money does indeed grow on trees. Now, mate, you have not appeared on any ABC outlet in several years, so let me start by asking you for your thoughts on Canberra's fiscal response to the COVID pandemic. Well, first of all, we've, we've got to, in my, my mind, unwind the stimulus. The stimulus came for 2020, right, uh, and and COVID. COVID's passed. We've got to unwind it. We've got to try and get back to where we were. I think if you look back, 2008, the financial crisis, we had stimulus. And the idea was when we came out of that financial crisis, the stimulus would be paid back. It never was. Uh, then we go into COVID. Uh, we have stimulus. The idea is when we come out of COVID, it be paid back, but it won't be. Uh, and the consequence of all of this is that each time there's a financial challenge, uh, we ratchet up spending, and each time we get back into good times, we don't we don't bring it back again. So this is why the reach of government, the cost of government, uh, the debt incurred by government is just starting to ratchet up through each cycle. Uh, as the point I'm making is, uh, when the times are good, we should be we should be paying this stuff back. But if we're not doing it now, when we go into the next crisis, and there will be one, there'll be one in a few years' time, when we go into the next crisis, we'll be going in from a much weaker position. By engaging in this bond buying program, essentially the Reserve Bank has taken very big losses, mm. and the losses are so great that it's wiped out its equity. It's it, it, it's a bank who's got what's called negative equity. <laughs> Uh, so all of those losses wiped out the capital that it had. So uh, obviously that was a terrible failure. The capital will have to be made up over uh, the next uh, several years uh, and as a consequence uh, the Reserve Bank will be a loss-making uh, activity for several years and we, the taxpayers, will have to support it. This bond-buying program also goes by the name of quantitative easing. I don't think there's been enough follow-up on this. What does this mean? What does this mean for, for taxpayers in the future? Our central bank wiped out its equity. For 25 years, it's been Australian government policy, both uh, coalition and Labor, that we would balance the budget over the course of the cycle. What that meant is that if times turned down, we'd go into deficit, but if times turned up, we'd go back into surplus and we'd use that surplus money to pay off the debt that we'd incurred during deficit. So we balanced it over the economic cycle. That was that was the policy. That was the policy uh, that I had. That was the policy that Wayne Swan had. That was the policy that Joe Hockey had. The government has given up uh, that policy. In other words, it's saying even though the economy turned back up again, uh, we're just going to leave that debt forever. It'll never be paid back. And uh, we'll just try and uh, shrink it in proportion to the economy. Now, that is a very big change in uh, fiscal policy policy and it means that uh, we're now no longer trying to put money away during good times to draw down in bad times. Uh, we're just going to carry the debt from the bad times forever. And when times are good like they are now, um, we should be putting some money aside. And if we don't put it aside in the good times, where are we going to be in the bad times? Where do you start with that, Anne? Where, where do, now, this guy was treasurer, okay? And yes, treasurer of Australia. Uh, yep. Costello and Switzer. Okay, you start. And there is so much economic nonsense packed into those few minutes. It is hard to know where to start. I think my favourite quote there was that the Federal Bank has wiped out its equity, the its equity. Central Bank. So this is the, the Reserve Bank, which creates, creates its own currency, has run out of equity. Now, this is the same as saying that the umpire at a football game has run out of points, which is what Bill Mitchell was talking yeah. about back in Episode <laughs> 3 of Radio MMT, which you can listen to on the podcast. So, so by his logic, every time a, a, a football match was played, 
the the winning score if you did if you deducted the losing score from the winning <laughs> score you needed to keep that difference and stockpile it away for the, for the it doesn't make any sense <laughs> saving points from one game to the next game yep and I think one of the reasons that Costello makes this huge mistake is that he is talking about the federal government as though it is the currency user and he's not realising that the federal government issues the currency and I think he needs to head on down to the Reserve Bank of Australia and have a chat with Phil Lowe yeah. <laughs> who will tell it's him. It's a fairly fundamental failing of a treasurer to not understand which side of the currency issuing they're on. I mean, like you're the government, you issue the currency and he doesn't understand that. Yeah, so he's thinking that the government needs to save money during the good times for the bad times. And I hate to break it to him, but there is actually no institutional mechanism for the federal government to save money that it can spend at a later date. It is simply impossible to do, even though somehow Costello is the chair of these future funds, which supposedly are socking money away. But uh, One thing I loved what, what mm-hmm. he said was, uh, and there will be another crisis in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> that, that tells you all you really need to know about the system. While his finger's on the lever, there well, certainly would be. When you're lumbering around with this misconception of how the economy runs, who creates the currency... Uh, by his rationale, the taxpayers are the currency creators. That's you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, we create currency. He's got it completely and, back and, to front. And we fund the government in their spending. And and if we don't come up with the taxes, they're going to run out of money. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> I'd love to be the currency issuer, but, but, but I think I'd be put in jail if I, if I headed that down that path. That would be counterfeiting, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> Yeah. And the other thing I think where he's going wrong is that he saw the central bank buying up lots of bonds during the COVID lockdowns. And of course, he sees bonds as debt. And remember, Bill Mitchell was just telling us what this debt really is. Yep. And when they were doing this buying up of bonds, uh, it was in a procedure that is known as quantitative easing or QE. Now, just to remember that central banks have control over what's known as monetary policy. So that's essentially setting the price of money or what we would call interest rates. And so quantitative easing is an easing of monetary policy, which is just a fancy way of saying they're lowering interest rates. And one way they have of lowering interest rates is to use bonds. So the central bank's bought up all these bonds and that meant that the price of bonds went up because suddenly you had a big buyer in the market and when the price of bonds goes up their yields or their interest rates go down and that is how the central banks were ensuring that interest rates would stay low (laughs) and when this is going on this is what MMT economists call an asset swap So you've got your commercial banks, they start with a pile of bonds, they then sell those bonds to the central bank and so the commercial banks end up with a pile of cash and so what they've done is swap one financial asset for another, they've swapped bonds for cash. They haven't been given more money, they've just changed the form that the money is in. And this is not going to destabilise the economy in the way that Costello seems to think. Uh, if you have uh, some, some feedback on this, what's our um, email address, Anne? It is radiommt at gmail.com. Yeah, so so if you have some further information on that, because, you know, we, we have to muddle through this stuff. And bonds, I find, to be one of the most confusing things in the world. i just like to just summarise it by saying they are a rock-solid, fairly low-yielding uh, investment for institutional investors. That's their real purpose, and everything mm. else is just bunkum. So what we're trying to figure out here is the nature of the bunkum, which can get complicated. <laughs> it does, because <laughs> what they say they're doing and what they're actually doing can be two different things. Yeah, which – now, this is a common theme as, as we're going through all this economic stuff – is what is said and what actually happens are usually – Two completely different things. And it's no wonder if the Treasurer of Australia doesn't understand that he's the currency issuer, <laughs> that everything is back to front. You know, And, and then he was saying uh, that the agreed position for Australian governments was to balance the budget and to not run deficits. And that mm-hmm. was agreed between Labor and Liberal and had been for the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. Well, mate, for the last 100 years, there's been consistent deficits. And uh, as he said also uh, about the future government saying they're just going to give up on debt, thank goodness, you don't have to pay it back. Uh, so just, just don't worry about it. And as I keep on stating, government deficits fund private sector profits. Mm. The money from the government uh, goes to the private sector. And we all know a government 
uh, deficit is a private sector surplus. It's not complicated. And he should understand that because he's the bloody treasurer. <laughs> yeah. I hate to say it, Kevin, but we will hear more from Costello. More Costello. Okay, well, let's have a little bit of a break and we'll come back to him uh, after a couple of um, short station promos. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 0394 8377 or donate online 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned, stay radical. Radio MMT. Economics for the rest of us with Anne and Kev at 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne, Australia. What about this modern monetary theory? Now, the RBA did not embrace it, but first of all, just tell us briefly, what is MMT, modern monetary theory? Because we've heard a lot about it during the course of the last few years, particularly from the Bernie Sanders campaign. Peter Costello. Well, modern monetary theory says that a government can effectively finance itself by using the central bank to create money. So government doesn't have to pay for its programs out of taxes. It doesn't have to borrow from taxpayers. Uh, The government essentially has unlimited resources because its central bank can just keep on printing money and there won't be any adverse consequences. That's, that's, that's basically it. And it's, it's a world, you know, too good to be true. Um, unlimited money, no adverse consequences. You can spend what you like. Uh, government doesn't have to worry about deficits. That's, that's modern monetary theory. It's the magic pudding. It gives you everything. There are adverse consequences. And we've all known it, and conventional economics has always said it, if you print too much money, right, eventually the value of that money starts to decline and it doesn't buy as much as it used to buy. And this is called inflation. And uh, now we're in a big bout of inflation, which has been fueled, in my view, uh, by loose monetary policy, uh, and it's going to take a lot to get through it. Uh, we've, we've, we've had the party, now the hangover. Okay, now one proponent of modern monetary theory, and we should stress he's an ABC colleague, it's Alan Collar, the former editor of the Financial Review and the Melbourne Age. He's the ABC's finance presenter. Quote, and this is what he said in 2020, a government deficit was just a transfer of money from government to the private sector. And Collar went on to say that one good thing about ending the pandemic was ending the notion that deficits were the result of, quote, reckless spending and we're a burden on our children. That's Alan Kohler, Peter Costello. Well, uh, we've seen how things have ended with uh, inflation around the world, point one, point two. Uh, deficits are a burden on our children. Deficits are paid with borrowed money, and the price that we're paying for that borrowed money is going up. If you can believe it, the interest payments that we have to make on our debt are growing faster than the NDIS. And even in the most recent budget, uh, the government said the fastest growing area of expenditure in the Commonwealth budget is interest on our debts. And that interest on our debts has to be paid. It's got to be paid by someone's taxes. The only other way you could do it is borrow to pay your your borrowings, uh, which pushes your debt up more and uh, increases your, your interest payments more. I mean... These debts aren't going to go away. Nobody's going to wave a magic wand and get rid of them unless, you know, you can inflate them away. So um, our children will be burdened with them, unfortunately, and anyone who told you the contrary was wrong. So the lesson from this bout of inflation is that deficits do matter, sound money matters, RBA accountability matters, and it should be strengthened, and money does not grow on trees after all. (laughs) Kevin, oh. <laughs> I can 
see you jumping up and down oh, in your seat a few times. There's then. so much. I mean, look, one little thing in there which I'm, which I'm going to mention. He said, oh, "That's not going to go unless we inflate it away." Mm. So even by orthodox economics, there is a way to dissolve your government debt, which is what they did after World War Two, mm-hmm. was kick it down the road with bonds until the debt becomes um, small enough compared to your current GDP that it's no longer an issue. So mm-hmm. even by orthodox terms. Debt is not an issue. Okay, <laughs> now we don't we don't subscribe to that theory, but you could explain away to Peter Costello how World War Two, with a huge deficit, ended up not being an issue, not being a problem even to anyone's w- children. It wasn't a burden on us, was it? Even when his god Menzies kept on continuing to spend <laughs> afterwards, like it was all fine because he inflated it away down the track, which means it doesn't really matter. Yeah, <sighs> and I noticed there that Tom Switzer, he was invoking that insult that you and I are very familiar with, that MMT stands for Magic Money Tree. Now, only someone who does not understand national accounting will think that the creation of money is a magical act. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let's remind the listeners, all MMT does is have a forensic look at how our economy actually works, about how uh, Peter Costello uh, operated and, and what, <laughs> what he did. And, and he was quite correct in his uh, explanation of MMT. He was, you know, he was saying that... The, he was half correct. Yeah, well, he said that the government uh, has an unlimited capacity to create um, currency, which it does, mm-hmm. and he went right through it. And then the last thing he said, with no consequences. Mm. No one from MMT has ever said that there are no consequences, that you have to be hyper-vigilant when it comes to inflation. You have to... Uh, understand where the money comes from and where it goes to, and it needs to be placed with great care. That's right. So, so, so the MMT does not say that the government can spend as much as it wants. And people, when they hear that we have an unlimited capacity to create dollars, that does not mean that we are saying create unlimited dollars. And so what is the limit on creating dollars? The limit is the real resources. So we fully understand that there are only a limited number of workers and a limited number of factories and a limited number of trees on the ground and minerals in the ground. And, and if you create currency uh, beyond your uh, resource capacity, you're going to have episodes of inflation and all sorts of other things happening. So MNT the- also says that all spending carries an inflation risk. So not just spending by the government... All spending, spending by businesses carries inflation risk, spending by households, spending by poor people carries an inflation risk and spending by rich people carries inflation risk. Now, what um, uh, Costello was talking about, and I'll give you a, a, we'll give you a microeconomic example of it. They'll say uh, a car cost $10,000, okay? So there's a car which has a value of $10,000 and there's $10,000 of money. I've got and, my pen and paper okay. here, Kevin. So what they're saying is is that if you increase uh, the amount of money that you spend into the economy will determine the price of that car. So if you have $15,000, that car will cost $15,000. And you go, no, that's that's <laughs> that's not the rationale. You can't say that if you increase the money, the car's going to go up in price. You, you have more money to pay for that car. And if you want to pay more than it's worth, you, you can. There's no one stopping you from spending $15,000 on a $10,000 car. But you can't mm. simplify your whole... Uh, economy by saying that if you have more money, everything's going to go up in prices. There are far more other factors that are involved in that. Inflation is a hugely complex phenomenon. Yeah. And if we look at the inflation that's happening now, all the progressive economists and even some of the mainstream economists, they're all saying that it has come about through a few things. And one One of them was that the supply constraints during the lockdown. So we had workers who were sick. We had a transport and shipping industry that was in chaos. We had uh, businesses closing. So all of that was constricting supply. Then we had the Ukraine war, and that was constricting supply of food and energy in Europe. And then we had the OPEC cartel taking advantage of all that and pushing up the price of energy. And on top of that in Australia, we've had floods and bushfires. And of course, the people who always take advantage of these situations, which are businesses, have been doing a whole heap of profit gouging in various industries. And what does Costello say that the, um, the, the cause of inflation is? None of those factors, none of them get mentioned. He says, oh, you've printed money, therefore you've caused inflation. And by the way, can we talk about this printing money? MMT never says that the central bank is printing money. And that's not just an argument about whether we're using paper and printers. That's an argument to say that when the federal government spends, it creates money. So you cannot create money and then not spend it. So the government has only one way to spend money, and that's by creating it. And that's kind of like saying that 
an umpire at a football game is creating points when they award points. The umpire is never just going to throw points up on the board for no reason. So new points in a football game are always attached to something happening on the field. The, and produ- the productivity of the field. Yeah, the productivity of the field. If somebody produces um, a <laughs> kick that goes through a certain area, that, that product <laughs> results in a point. Exactly. Or a goal. Yeah. So new money in the economy is always attached to a spending outcome. It is never just a printer set next to a window and then that's, <laughs> fire that, it off. That's the helicopter, <laughs> the helicopter approach, they call it, where, the, where you have this image in your mind of a helicopter just mm-hmm. um, throwing money out, out, out uh, over, the, um, yes. over its citizens. Printing money to just spend print money without limits. You can spend and spend and spend. That, and that's I not think how it we works. can blame Milton Friedman for both the quantity theory of money and the helicopter. Blame Milton Friedman for a whole bunch of things. And uh, Costello just keeps reiterating all those false images and false theories about what inflation is and how the monetary system works. It's um it's infuriating to listen to it. It it drives me drives me batty. But the most amazing thing is that this is the guy who is controlling the economy and, and his decisions affect mm. millions of people in, mm-hmm. in, in how, things, uh, how much things cost and, and their living conditions and the rest of it. Mm. Uh, and that's still accepted on both sides of politics, this mm. conventional uh, view of how the economy runs. Mm-hmm. It's, it's embraced and, and lauded by the, the conservatives and Labor is trapped by it, and so are the Greens to some degree. They they are very wary talking about this. To an extent, beca- yes. Because because they're, they'll be seen to be um, uh, raving loonies. <laughs> However, I'm so pleased to hear uh, th- these conservatives even acknowledging MMT. Yeah, that's. Um, I guess that's a point in our favour. Yeah. I think this is why I really wanted to play these clips today, because these are the ideas that destroy lives, and they destroy lives by creating destructive economic policy. These are the ideas why one in six children in Australia is currently living in poverty, okay? Yeah. And this is because they think the government shouldn't be spending now, can I uh, go through a little example for you here of how this, this ideology plays through? So you've got um, governments sitting on this quantitative theory of money saying that if we put too much money into the economy, it's going to stimulate inflation. And we all need to be very wary of this capture of the discussion saying that uh, it's the COVID spending that's caused inflation. We know what the real reasons are. Well, I know that um, the diesel that I put in my van mm-hmm. a year ago cost two fifty a litre, and I, I know it costs a dollar eighty seven now. And I know that every truck on the road that delivers food uh, it was paying sixty percent more in their fuel prices to, to deliver to supermarkets and all the products around the place, and that's what caused inflation, not mm. the fact that the, the government <laughs> had to spend in the economy to save it from crashing. And he didn't criticise Scott Morrison for, for doing any of this. He's now saying, "Oh, Labor has to clean up the mess, and if they don't, they're right. irresponsible." Right. But at the time, they're saying, "Oh, good job." Scotty, you've, you've saved the economy. So they, they like to have it both ways, and they can't. Mm-hmm. So, so what they do is they say there's too much money in the economy, and the best way to, uh, to reduce the quantity of money in the economy to constrain inflation is raising interest rates. That will affect people's discretionary spending, and if they can't spend as much, according to our theory, if they can't spend as much, then the price will drop. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet www.3cr.org.au So let's just follow their their logic through and they apply uh, interest rate rises. Now, who does this affect? Well, let's have a look at, say, uh, a new homeowner in the outer suburbs, lives 35, 40 k's out of town. It's pretty easy to imagine because you probably know people like this. You've got mum and dad and a couple of young kids and they've just bought a home. They've got a big uh, mortgage because they're new into the market. And then we have this inflation hit. And let's say dad's a tradie and mum's a, a nurse. I'm, I'm being a little bit stereotypical, so bear with me. But <laughs> That's what economists do. <laughs> so anyway, your tradie's got a ute and he's got to drive all over town. He's in the outer suburbs. So he's going to be spending a lot on petrol, mm. uh, uh, on fuel. Their household's already impacted by the, the fuel bill. And mum, she might be driving to the station or she might be driving to work. And they live out of town. So they're doing big Ks. Mm-hmm. So inflation hits. Their discretionary spending is already curtailed because... 
They're spending more on fuel. They're spending more on food because of the diesel's mm-hmm. up, which means all the transport costs go up. They're spending more on gas uh, and power. So their discretionary spending has already been curtailed a lot um, mm. before we raise interest rates. Then we raise interest rates. Well, they've just bought a house. Uh, they were told that interest rates are going to stay low. They for were just barely making their mortgage just, payments. Just barely making it, uh, and interest rate goes up, and so they're hit sideways. So now they're, they're possibly in a position where they have to sell their house. Okay. Mm. Now, remember, this is being done to... To, uh, to the tail of inflation. Yeah, it's to stop people from spending too much. The Apparently people... having a roof over your head is spending too much. Yeah, <laughs> let's have a look at another couple. Let's have a look at a, a, an older couple uh, living in Paran or mm-hmm. closer to the city. They're on a good wage. They're in their 50s. They're both earning you know, good six-figure incomes. The house is paid off. They might have an investment property. They might have a share portfolio. You know, mm-hmm. They might have some, some shares with um, the banks, etc. Interest rates go up. Well, they've paid off their loan. So it makes no difference to the house they live in. They've got an investment property. They pass on the interest rates to the renter. So that then hurts the renter. But their discretionary spending is still the same. Not only that, because they've got shares with um, coal and iron ore and and, uh, the banks, etc. Well, the banks are all booming because the interest rates have gone up, which means they've got more money. So they're actually earning more. <laughs> so Very interesting. That one instrument or that one tool of interest rates has almost opposite effects on different parts of the population. It's actually adding to inflation. If they have an investment property, it's adding to inflation because they'll push the rents up. The other people on the other side of the story, well, they're looking at selling their house and these people are going, well, we've just made some good money off our shares. Let's buy their house. And so you see a polarisation of the economy. Now, yes. that's not a theory. That's actually happening. That's happening. That's... Through this policy. Hello, I'm Philip Lorne. I'm adjunct professor at Torrance University. And you're listening to Radio MMT with Anne and Kev on 3CR Community Radio. And I would just point out, too, that when uh, Costello was mentioning that the the interest that the government is paying on this so-called debt, these bonds, is actually greater than the payments for the NDIS, which is the uh, National Disability Insurance Scheme here in Australia. If you can believe it, the interest payments that we have to make on our debt are growing faster than the NDIS. What that says to me is simply that the government is choosing to pay more to people who have savings than it is to people who need help because they are disabled. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, and you've got to remember the the interest on the the bonds. What it is, it's it's an injection of money into the economy, which is exactly what they're trying to uh, stem <laughs> in the first place. So, so. Well, Kevin, as an antidote to all of that blather, we might have a listen to another clip, which was also broadcast on ABC Radio National. It is from the Adelaide Festival Writers Week, and it is from March 2023, And it was a panel that was chaired by Paul Barclay from ABC. And the panellists or the voices we will hear include Richard Dennis, who is economist and executive director at the Australia Institute, Alan Kohler, the aforementioned Alan Kohler, who is a financial analyst at ABC, and Wayne Swan, another ex-treasurer who was with the Labor Party and most notably during the GFC. We might play just a little part of that. We'll play the short one. I've got a longer version. We might have to save that for another occasion. Yeah, but uh, another I just occasion. need some cheering up. Short. Sure, here we go. I'd like to ask each of you for this answer. Can a government with a sovereign currency ever run out of money? No. 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 Well, that was easy. The only, the only limit on government, uh, on deficits, is inflation. And your credibility. Well, uh, yeah. well, yeah. And just in case people miss the significance of that, the idea that we can go bankrupt as a nation is absurd. It's a neoliberal idea designed to make us scared of public spending. So our kind of household notion that you want to pay your debt off one day soon is precisely irrelevant for a nation-state that should be planning for a long, happy future. I was particularly interested when uh, Wayne Swan said only a credibility because... Mm. 
and it was interesting also because Alan Kohler, who does understand MMT, said um, the main problem is inflation. So he gets it. He understands it. Mm. And then you've got Wayne Swan saying, and your credibility. So he's playing this political game where, although he understands uh, how it works, I, Wayne Swan confuses me because I reckon he <laughs> I gets... I think he's confused. <laughs> I reckon he gets MMT, but by the yeah. same token, he keeps on playing this orthodox line. Mm. Uh, and I don't know Does whether credibility he's... mean Australia's credit rating? Is, I don't know what he was no, referring he's, he's to. No, talk, he's talking about... Uh, Mainly about the perception with the electorate that if you're running oh, a big deficit, you're you're I not a good see. economic manager. I see. Okay. And this whole thing about running a surplus means you're a good economic manager. So he likes to have a foot in each camp. And and I, I want to sit down with Wayne Swan. <laughs> for, well, let's invite him to the pub with for, us tonight. Yeah, I want to sit down for a weekend and go now, Wayne. Let's let's have a serious. I know you know a certain amount of stuff. Let's let's. Yeah. Anyway, I just love the answer that they all gave at the beginning. So we will be back, Kevin, on the 9th of June, and we will be right in the swing of Radiothon here at 3CR and if you would like to hear Kevin and I begging for money do join us it's going to be a fun show because we'll have a bit of interaction with everyone we'll have to do less begging if you do get onto 3cr.org.au forward slash donate if you start donating now we'll have to beg less next time we're around and it is important. We're a new show, and and uh, our credibility is at stake. Talking about credibility and that sort of stuff, <laughs> our credibility is at stake. We need we need you buggers to uh, uh, chip in some bucks to change your currency, which has no intrinsic value, into something which has value, which is this radio station that's coming up for our next show. But we need to make way for Mafalda. Thank you very much for listening to us again, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. See Bye you then, Kevin. You've been listening to Radio MMT with Anne and Kev. We'd love your feedback. Email us on radiommt at gmail.com or search Radio MMT on social media. Listen to this show anytime, wherever you get your podcasts or on 3cr.org.au forward slash Radio MMT. Support this show and the station by subscribing to 3cr.org.au and mention Radio MMT. We thank all our guests. And we thank economist Professor Bill Mitchell and his mmted.org, educating masses on modern monetary theory. And thank you to our listening listeners for listening. And I thank you, Kevin. And I thank you, Anne. So what's planned for next week? Kevin, there is still so much to talk about. We've got to expose all this rotten economics. Well, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good and I get it. Do you reckon we could use a bit more music? Well, I made a list of all these terrible economic theories. Did you enjoy listening to that podcast? 3CR is a community radio station and you, the listener, are a part of that community. Right now, it's our Radiothon. We need you to pitch in with a few dollars to keep the station going. We can't do it without you. It's easy. Head to 3 cr dot org dot au forward slash donate your donations really matter